soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. The Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. It's an interesting flow in this order of the narrative by the Holy Spirit. So Peter, he's thinking. We like that about Peter. He think, you know, he speaks sometimes before he thinks, but he also thinks and speaks. About this time is the same time that John and James were telling Jesus. Uh, John and James sent their mother to Jesus saying, like, hey, can you just make them, like, rule on your right side and your left side? They're all vying for power, and their idea that the Messiah is going to establish a kingdom is well-rooted in the Old Testament based upon certain scriptures, but their understanding that the Messiah would come the first time to establish a kingdom through faith in him through his death, burial, and resurrection is not clearly understood by them. And so it's very paradoxical in their mind. He says... To the rich young ruler, pick up your cross and follow me. You see Peter and the apostles going like, why would he say that? He's going to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom. Like, why would he say? We just don't get that part of his theology at all. Why would he say that? But Peter says, well, look, we've left everything for you and followed you, which they had. We go back to Luke chapter 5. Peter and Andrew's brother, John and James, the brothers. The two sets of brothers were in the fishing business together. Zebedee was John and James's dad. And Jesus literally said, follow me. And we read they did. They left their opportunity of income, their trade. They left their family, and they followed Jesus. They were all in. Just like when Matthew was at the tax collector's booth and Jesus said, follow me. He left it. He was all in. I showed that story not so long ago about the guy when he I asked him what kept him from giving his life to Christ, and he said, $25,000 worth of crystal meth in my closet. And I said, well, the moment we pour that out, you're all in with Jesus. Those guys are going to kill me. No, they're not. Just tell them you gave your life to Christ, and done with business. It's exactly what he did. It's exactly what happened. And they let it go. He's been serving the Lord for 30 years ever since. All in, going for it. That's what Peter, Peter, you know, Peter said, oh, by the way, okay, not that we're trying to self-promote right now in this group setting, but Jesus, we have left everything for you. What you've asked this man to do, we've done it. Now, we might expect a response from our boss or from the Lord or anyone else like, or your parents like, yeah, you have. Like, it's super commendable. That's awesome. That is. But Jesus affirms a promise. He simply says there's no one who's followed him, that has left the security of home, parents, family, brother, wife, children, for the sake of the kingdom that shall not receive many more times 
in this present time, that is time, space, and matter, and the age to come, eternal life, the age that never ends. It's a great promise. He's saying, basically, you will never regret that. God will give you more than what you've given. And whatever you've given up, as you understand it in your view of your life, which we, many of us can think of that, for the gospel, God will give more than that in your life, and he'll give more in the life to come. Now, it'd be really, to, really easy to misunderstand. It's like somehow like, okay, so I gave up a house, so God's going to give me a bigger house or something like that. That's not what he's talking about. That's not at all what he's talking about. We just saw how someone's wealth controlled them. You lose relationships for Christ, and you gain new relationships in Christ. You give up possessions sometimes for Christ, and he'll, the Bible promises as you sow, you'll reap. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. It's a universal principle in God's universe, spiritual. It's like gravity, physical. That's why Solomon, the wisest man, said, so bountifully, so bountifully, because you don't know if it's going to come from this direction or that direction. And we talk about sowing our time and our energy and our resources for the Lord. But ultimately, here in the West and in the United States, most of us have not suffered a lot of loss for following Christ. We have a safe landing at a Harvest Crusade or praying with a pastor after a service in Orange County. Maybe we go to U-Turn for Christ and turn it around, you know, something like that. And there's people cheering us on, and we can find a good church in Marietta or Temecula or all over Orange County. We can go see Rick Warren. We can go see Broderson over here. We can go see Greg Laurie down there at Harvest. You know, I'll go Saturday night with WG or something. And you know, it's like a pretty soft, safe landing when you give your life to Christ. And if you get mocked or ridiculed for giving your life to Christ in the year of our Lord, 2018 in Orange County, you can go somewhere where you're going to be loved on. And people will be like, hey, we love you. And you're going to get a new family. You're, you're going to get that. But really, like, so far in America, no one just shows up and says, hey, you gave your life to Christ at Harvest Crusade. We're taking your house and your car. You'd be like, what? You're like, nobody taking nothing. Like, that's the American way. But that's the way it is for a good portion of the world. You give your life to Christ in India, in many parts of India, uh, especially where the Hindu radicals are, you, you don't get to get to the well. We're thinking about car and a house. When we're really reduced to it, it's, it's water. It's air, water, food. And they're denied the well. These are the common stories from ministries that minister in India and Bangladesh and those parts of the world. Uh, Southeast Asia, you get a lot of that. Like when people give their life to Christ, they're ostracized from the community and they literally lose their hut, their little teeny trade, and their access to the well. And they have to start all over. If you look at the ministry of Voice for the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs, the vast majority of their ministry coming out of Oklahoma is, is providing relief and trade skill education for widows whose husbands have been killed in their ministry of serving Jesus Christ or their displacement from, uh, you know, terrorists and, and antichrists in Nigeria, North Africa, and so on and so forth, these places, and even Colombia. Or it says, we've not yet resisted blood. You, you think about if you were just Jewish in Europe in the 30s, and you're like someone like Anne Frank, and your life is a good life, and then just one day it all changes because of demonically demented men coming to your town. And they sent those troopers to Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, Romania. And they tried to eradicate an entire people group. Ethnically, but also with their, the old covenant, you know, the Mosaic covenant, if you will, of the Jews. That's only 80 years ago. Just like Julius Caesar in the time of Christ. 
That's just 80 years ago. There are people still alive who did those things against humanity. And you say, how could people do that? You know, it was educated people who did it. The vast majority of those special platoons of the Nazis and the SS, they're the most educated people in the German society. They were doctors, lawyers, pedophiles, demented men, demon worshipers. And they sounded so smart. And they're all good speakers. They're persuasive orators. And first they got the Lithuanians to kill the Jews and the Ukrainians to kill the Jews. But when they didn't kill them quick enough and unleash them to beat the people and take all their wealth, yea, skin for a skin, all the man has will give to give his life, to save his life, Satan said about humanity, speaking of Job. They murdered millions of innocent women and children. That, that happens to the body of Christ for faith in Christ. This day on this planet, look what ISIS did in the Middle East. It's a reality. And it happens. And you don't always get your house back. And you might be forced to see great evil before you step into eternity, but praise the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to glory. And whatever God has for us in time, space, and matter, it's not worthy to be compared, these light afflictions, to the eternal weight of glory he has for us on that side of the kingdom. And that's why Paul told the Philippians, it's forward, onward, and upward. The only thing that could be worse than to suffer such atrocities is to not do so with faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, Jesus is your king if he's your king. And if we are persecuted and we lose possessions and we lose relationships and we lose freedoms because of our faith, then praise the Lord because Jesus said there's a blessing in that when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake and or persecuted for his name's sake. And I believe in God's economy, when you give up a wrong and make an offering to the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice, 1 Peter chapter 2, there's a blessing there too. We're on this planet to be saved and to serve. And through saving and serving, we're called to walk in purity, humility, and forgiveness as the great equities. And through many afflictions, we must inherit the kingdom of God. These guys he's talking to, these 12 apostles, they would all be put to death for their faith, except for John, who suffered greatly the longer he lived, but had greater revelation of the Lord the longer he lived and the more suffering he endured, didn't he? Let's say that again. The more suffering he endured, the greater glory of the Lord he saw. And don't you want to see all that glory on the back end as a preview of coming attractions? Praise the Lord. He's preparing these men to change the world. And you can't soft land the gospel. It's a narrow gate that leads to life and few enter thereby. And broad and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many want to go that way. Or as my son Luke says, Truth is truth, and it'll always be truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And that's who we serve. And we need to embrace everything he has for our life in time, space, and matter that is not only for our good in this journey, that he restores whatever we lose in this journey. He said here how that might look. I mean, Paul lost everything, right? When he was Saul, and then he became Paul. He seemed to lose everything. All of his old friends wanted to kill him. But yet he made new friends that he could sing praises to the Lord when he's in a prison in Philippi after taking a public beating for his faith. You still know what song you'll sing when we go through it with the Lord. But I'll tell you this much, that song will have a little more depth than it might otherwise have been. And Jesus is working on character and depth of character. 
and firm conviction. Like Paul would say, I know who I believed in, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That's what he wants to establish in my life and your life. When he tells these guys, I'm going to the cross, this is what's going to happen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to do this, do that, it's like they're like, what? They could not understand it. It's interesting and paradoxical to me that they couldn't understand it, but Christ's enemies could understand it. Remember, when Jesus was in the tomb, they said, hey, he said that he would rise in three days, so you need to put some guards there. His enemies understood his claim that he would rise from the grave. These guys who he spoke it to, it says they just weren't able to understand it. Like, is it possible God spoke it to them, but did not allow them to fully understand it in this context, and yet he allowed the enemies to understand it for a different purpose in their context? And then in the end, once Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, once Jesus is revealing himself, hey, Thomas, don't doubt anymore. You put your hand right there, put your right there where the nail was. Once the resurrected Jesus appeared to these guys, once they saw him ascend into heaven, and once the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, this planet has never been the same, and nor will it ever be the same until we're done here and God's done with this church. We are the kingdom of God. We, the church of Jesus Christ, are the kingdom of God. And we're entrusted with the stewardship that he gave these men 2,000 years ago who changed the world. And this church, the body of Christ, has been changing the world for good ever since. And whatever wrong has happened in the name of Jesus' name, as I've said many times, that's not on Jesus. That's on weird people being weird, misusing his name. God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And everything that he does is good. In your life, in our homes, in our children, our grandchildren, in his church, in every society, in Pakistan, in Vietnam, Cambodia, Philippines, wherever the gospel goes, America, Samoa, Fiji, Rapa Nui, Chile, Argentina, Venezuela, wherever the gospel is, it brings light in life. It'll never return void God's word, and it'll always elevate the soul of the human being, and it'll always make life where there's death. It'll Put to death what is death, pride in the flesh, and it will raise up that which is life, the life of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. I came that you might have life, and that more abundantly. And as he crucifies this, which is contrary, he raises that, which is to our benefit personally and to the benefit of the world around us. This is our time. Who knows what road to Jerusalem we each have before we step into eternity? Who could have ever thought Pastor Chuck would die of lung cancer? Lung cancer, the irony of it all. The man who would never smoke a cigarette dies of lung cancer, gasping for air. My mom smoked for 40 years. She's dodged death three times in the last two years, and she says her sole purpose to be alive right now is to serve Jesus Christ. I'm glad she didn't die two years ago because she wouldn't have told you that was her sole purpose two years ago. You just don't know what Jerusalem Road has for us. But know this, when we walk this road, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. And he just told that guy to follow me and pick up his cross. And we just said, we've done that. And he says, yeah, okay, good. That's good for here and that's good for there. But let's get on with the work. It's amazing. The gospel, the glorious gospel, what Jesus did for us. And on the third day, he will rise again. Oh, what Jesus did for us. 
This thing that he describes in verse 31 and 32 that he did for them and for us in the church age, this is the one action that affects the entire universe to it's wherever it goes. You can't go anywhere in this universe. You can't find any galaxy or any, anything anywhere out there from the microscopic world to as far as it goes that this action, this event is the center of it all, of everything in time, space, and matter. Is Jesus Christ being handed over to the Gentiles, being mocked and spit upon and crucified and rising from the grave on the third day. This is the event that shapes all human history and all of time, space, and matter, and we believe. And we are the church. And it's this event that saves us from our sins and gives us a hope that's an anchor to the soul. And it is this event that we preach and proclaim until the day the Lord returns with his heavenly army to establish his kingdom on earth. And just because the rich young ruler doesn't want to believe it doesn't mean it's not there for someone else. Which leads us to the last part of the text, verse 34. Excuse me, verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, he's on the road to Jerusalem, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. And so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. It's interesting that the rich young ruler who had everything couldn't let it go. But the man who had the beggar's coat could cast off his coat, follow Jesus, and would follow. What the rich young ruler had kept him from having faith. And what the blind man didn't have allowed him to have faith. The rich young ruler could see Jesus. Bartimaeus could not. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because those who come to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Bartimaeus had a friend, Matthew tells us, but the focus is Bartimaeus. And he and his buddy were healed that day. They gave Jesus a messianic title, son of David, of course, the great King David of the Old Testament. The Messiah would come from the line of David to the tribe of Judah, from Abraham. He'd be an Israelite through Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of the descendants of Abraham, and specifically from the house of David under the tribe of David. Under the house of David, tribe of Judah. And Bartimaeus, as soon as he heard Jesus, he's like, son of David, son of David. How all these rich young rulers and all these Pharisees who studied the Old Testament, knew the Old Testament, said they believed the Old Testament, they rejected Christ. And here's a man who's blind and begging, saying, son of David. He's, that's, that's the code. You know, like sometimes in marriage, a husband or wife have a code, like a certain word. I've said jokingly that when I'd be at Little League games and starting to get worked up as a dad when Luke's pitching and I don't like the umpire strike zone, he'd be like, come on, Blue. Come on, Blue. Call it both ways. And Jennifer used to have a code. You know what it was? She'd look at me and say, uh, pastor? That was the code. She only called me pastor when I was either embarrassing myself or on the verge of embarrassing myself. It was a safety net. Uh, pastor? A word? You know? Oh, don't call me pastor. That umpire's squeezing our, our kid's strike zone. You're like, pastor? You're like, it's a code. Like it's that, you get it like that. 
kind of like people maybe at work have like certain code words they say and they understand it. Slang, right? Hip hop has slang. You know, we get different things that we say. Sports teams get a, uh, their own language. In fact, great sports teams are known to develop their own vocabulary. So like Mike Krzyzewski and that dream team in 2008 with LeBron and Kobe and all those guys, Mark Redman, they, they had words and they'd say one word and it meant so many things. So LeBron could say one word in the clubhouse and it all knew what it meant. That word wasn't just one word, it's a totality of what went behind it. And it was the language of Team USA in the 2008 Beijing Olympics for the basketball team going from bronze to restore gold. They had their own language. This is the language of faith. When anyone would look at Jesus and say, son of David, that's a code. That separates what he's saying. You can say Jesus of Nazareth, and that's his name. And you could say, you know, oh, the rabbi, Jesus. But when you say son of David, man, you're bringing it. Son of David is the title of the Messiah. That very phrase says, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe that you are the Christ. Son of David, have mercy on me. There was his faith. And isn't it cool when people have faith with the Lord that he might say, what would you like me to do for you? It's kind of like Solomon in his dream. When he became king, what would you like? What would you like? And he goes, well, it's a big deal to be the king, so I'd pr- wisdom, I'd like wisdom. Great, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for riches and fame, I'm gonna give that to you anyways because you asked for the right thing. You know, when we have faith and we're available and we believe in the Lord for great things that he wants to do in us and through us to the benefit of others, he might say to you, what would you like to do? What would you like to do? What's on your heart to do? God is good. I mentioned this last week. It says the Lord is good. And he's a strong tower to all those who trust in him. God is good. And if you come to him in faith and you, he asks you, what do you want me to do? Ask for something based upon faith. He'll not withhold any good thing from those who love him and are set toward him. His plans are good for a future and a hope. And he said, receive your sight in verse 42. Your faith has made you well. So when we think about the glory of the gospel between the rich young ruler and Bartimaeus, we see the rich young ruler was not willing to do what needed to be done, but blind Bartimaeus had that faith and the confession of faith and his words had action, and he was different. It does say that he followed him. (laughs) Look at this. Look at verse 43, and we close with this thought. It says that he immediately received his sight and followed him. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You just got to take the step of faith toward Christ in who he is and, and availability to him. The rich young ruler could have had the same deliverance from that which controlled him and kept him in bondage, his wealth, if he'd just taken the step of faith but he was not willing. But blind Bartimaeus, he had the faith and he took the step of faith and he what? He followed Jesus. And the people praised the Lord. People praised God. And as we take steps of faith and respond to the Lord, people are gonna praise God. We want people to praise God because of his work in our lives, don't we? Let me say that again. Don't you want the legacy of your life that people praise God because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life? I'm going to say it one more time. Don't you want people to look at your life when it's all said and done and praise God because of what Jesus Christ did in your life? Yes, you do. 
I've done enough memorials right here on this podium to tell you that's what you want people to say as a legacy of your life, that they'll praise God because what you let God do in your life through steps of faith and withholding nothing but being all in with the king. There are blessings in believing. And there is good news in the gospel. And wedged between the rich young ruler and blind Bartimaeus was this gospel message and the reality of its goodness and its call on our lives. And we must all determine. And I rejoice that most of you, if not all of you here, have determined wisely with the person of Christ. But we need to stay on track and we need to stay focused. We need to finish this year strong. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and make our life about Jesus, not all the noise and the distractions. Keep it simple. You know, coaching sports at a very elite level, at the highest level. The more intense it is, the more simple you need to keep it. You're getting crucified upside down like Peter. There's not some deep theology there. It's you and Jesus for all eternity. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.